interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Welcome everyone to my bloody podcast, the most fun horror-centric podcast on the internet, on the podcast services. I'm Brian Kluber and I'm joined by the host with the most, Preston Barta. This man, I like to go to malls, I like to go to summer camp, and I like to go to the Puritan days and look for witches. Preston, how are you? Oh, that was great. Uh, I'm great. I'm doing well. Hey, doing well. I'm doing well too, man. I'm excited. We have a great show today. It's our 96th episode. Hopefully you caught us last time with Orca, the time before that with The Mummy, Brennan Fraser style. This week, our main feature presentation is the Fear Street Trilogy. Yes, it's on Netflix. Fear Street 94, Fear Street 78, and Fear Street 1666. We're going to be talking about all three of those films again on Netflix. And we're excited to talk about it. We've watched them all. We studied them intently. And uh, we're going to get to bloody tunes and uh, whatnot. But first, a little bloody bits of news. Gotta gotta mention... uh, the movie Spiral, the ninth Saw movie, coming out on 4K and Blu-ray this coming week. And there's some pretty decent bonus features on it. It looks and sounds amazing. And for a big studio release, um, like this this movie is, you know, from Lionsgate. And usually Lionsgate just kind of does kind of stock images for their cover art. But holy shit, they really, I mean... They're like boutique studio now. They went and went, did a whole artwork thing for this uh, 4K and Blu-ray set. If uh, it is this thing, and it just looks amazing. Um, it, it's I don't know. It's kind of kind of like a badass, weird horror fine um, version of uh, pop art. I don't know. I like it. What do you think? Yeah, I like it too. Um, I, I would uh, say that it is the best thing about that entire movie released <laughs> on disc. Uh, what? But, but uh, yeah, I think they just took it from the IMAX poster that that they commissioned. Um, but it looks incredible. So yeah, um, I, I've been making the joke. Uh, if you want to shit in a box and market guarantee, this is this is that. Uh, why, why are you saying it's the best part? You didn't like the, the audio track or the, the way the 4K picture looked or the movie or the bonus features? No, I think it, it looks sharp. It sounds good. There's good bonus features, but I'm not uh, the biggest fan of the movie, even though I had uh, a great conversation with uh, the filmmakers. And uh, But uh, that's just kind of where it, it just didn't grab me in the way that I wanted it to. I think it just um, it felt... I, I don't know. It felt a little too inauthentic to me. Not that this franchise has ever really been that authentic, but I, I felt like it didn't really add anything new in, in, in the way that the, the initial trailer, that first trailer promised. I think if I hadn't seen that first trailer, 
where it, they, it just made it seem like this film that's just going to adopt the feel of a 70s kind of movie like uh, the new centurions or something like that but also has like a bit more of a social commentary at play and it does have a few of those qualities to it i just don't think they capitalize it capitalize on it in the way that i wanted to and then the death scenes uh, maybe one or two were okay um, but it just didn't it didn't grab me in the way that I wanted to but I know that you're a big fan of it and so I'm not gonna shit all over it but uh, it's just it just wasn't it just wasn't the movie that uh, for me that I wanted from it okay all right I mean I, I respect it I respect it I, I I enjoyed it I liked it it's good stuff um, but yeah spiral 4k coming out um also news that came out today criterion released their announcements for october the halloween season this year on blu-ray there's a couple horror titles first we got to talk about uncut gems we know it's not horror but it is a little bloody here and there and it's very suspenseful very excited that this is the second adam sandler movie to get a criterion release very excited about this wonderful movie but the two horror films the incredible shrinking man and Onibaba, Onibaba, odd that they're releasing this because there's already a Criterion Blu-ray release for Onibaba. Um, Onibaba is a Japanese horror film that uh, came out a while ago and it kind of plays out like an historical drama with very heavy erotic horror elements about two women who've taken up the profession of killing samurai soldiers and stealing their weapons, rations, and clothings. But one day... One samurai shows up with a mask on and puts a wrench in all those ladies' plans. Uh, it's actually pretty badass. Very excited to see what's new about this while they're why they're releasing this again. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited about this. Are you excited about this October slate? Oh yeah, uh, I think this is probably. I think you, what you said in your Instagram post about this being one of the most exciting posts that we've had uh, or lineup that we've had from criterion in quite some time and i feel like each october uh month that they release titles tends to be the most exciting for me because they'll at least throw maybe one or two uh either really awesome ones like big ones like uncut gems or just ones that are a little uh haven't been aren't talked about as much but are still exciting and uh fun discoveries for me because i haven't seen uh, that Japanese horror film that you were talking about. I think I've heard you mention it before, maybe on this podcast once or twice, um, but it's it's not one that I have seen. So I'm excited to check it out uh, if we get a review copy of it. Right, right. And I guess it's out of print. Um, so uh, maybe just, that's the case. Maybe that's the case. And then we heard through the rumblings and rumors and whatnot through various sites and whatnot, but uh, Criterion uh, Collection, uh, unarguably probably the best home video company out there um but they have not stepped into 4k yet they're still releasing blu-rays only in high definition not in ultra high definition but the rumor was that they are going to release their first 4k very soon they're not saying what it is they're saying it's an american movie released in the last 30 years but Will this be a horror movie? Could it be a horror movie? Could it be Nightmare on Elm Street? I don't know. Probably not because that wouldn't be 30 years. Uh, that would be more than 30 years. But, oh my God, the possibilities are endless, Preston. 
Yeah, my prediction is it's going to be something that's maybe like a best pitcher nominee or something like maybe like as good as it gets or something like that, which I would be all for, even though that came out on Twilight Time and I own that. Uh, the reason why that movie's on my mind is because friend of the show uh, who comes on here a few times, uh, James Colclay, that's like one of his favorite movies because uh, he watches it. Uh, he watched it not too long ago and it's like symbolized a little bit of his relationship that he has with his girlfriend so it's been like on my mind lately so i'd be okay with something like that that's a little more like a low-key uh, best picture nominee or something that would be awesome that would be cool uh yeah um and you know summer is still hot and heavy right now however you know july 4th has ended and we've got labor day coming up but after that it's kind of the halloween season so we're starting to get news of horror movies, more horror movies coming out and release dates and screens for this. Um, is there anything you're looking forward to Preston horror movie wise that we've heard news of? Uh, that, that's releasing theatrically or home video? Both, both, both. Um, I mean, Candyman's coming out um, before Halloween. I'm really excited about Halloween kills, even though the trailer didn't really uh, do it for me or just spoiled a lot that I thought. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about Candyman. Um, I think visually it's going to be really cool and I'm curious like how they're going to take carry over that same kind of social commentary, but bring it into like what life is now 30 years later after that original film. Um, and I like it when movies, uh, when they provide like backstory or they're, uh, doing some sort of like expositional dump scene and they use like unique arts like different types of arts like harry potter did like the shadow puppet kind of look to show the history of the uh, deathly hollows and yeah kind of got that yes. same kind of feel from uh some of the images that we've seen from the trailer and this so I, I i'm just excited i'm really excited about that one i think it's going to be good and i like the cast so that's the one that i'm most eager to see uh, the for the theater um, at home uh, I, I'm even though we sh shit all over uh, the cover of uh, Halloween last week um, for our Orca episode I'm very curious to see what that new restoration of the original Halloween will look like um, I, I, I can't despite what it looks like the candy shell of it all I, I I'm very eager to find out what what it looks like and if it's a good copy of it um but what about you uh no i'm looking forward to all these movies i got a question for you though uh, sure. about Candyman. okay um i know you're really looking forward to Candyman. i know you're a big fan of the original and you're really 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 looking forward to this new one yeah is it going to be difficult for you to go into the new Candyman movie with uh without like let's say your candy man fan press screening goggles to look it up objectively or do you think you'll just like it no matter what um, i don't i think i can because we did the same thing with halloween we're big halloween fans and we watched the 2018 version we're a little overwhelmed or underwhelmed by some aspects of it and so i felt like i gave it a fair rating at the time um so uh, I don't know. I feel like I try, like I try to be honest about everything and try to think about 
wearing goggles, especially when you go to like film festivals, it's really hard not to think that way or just react with the audience. But um, I'm sure this is going to be a movie that I really want to go see in the theaters. But, you know, lately we're not going as often um, and or it's just a press screening or something like that. And there's I'm not as swayed by like how the rest of the audience reacts at the moment, but maybe things will open up a little bit more and it'll be different by the time. What is it? September or is it early October? I can't remember when Candyman's releasing. Yeah. I, keep... I think it's, it's, I think it's like the first week in October. I think okay. I thought so. Okay. So, um, so yeah, there, there may be a little bit of time for uh, things to change by then, but no, I really do try to be conscious about that and not uh i want to give it a fair fair rating like i if there's things about it that disappoint me i will be sure to mention it um but there have been a few times where i've watched something and then i go back and watch it a little bit later after that that veil has been lifted a little bit and some time has passed where i've uh, changed my rating a little bit i think la la land was one of them uh where there's some where you like the director or you like the material so much that you just become kind of numb to the experience. And Candyman's like one of my top five horror movies of all time. Um, so because we're having this discussion, I will really work hard to make sure I don't do that. <laughs> I mean, I, that's I, why I got you. I got yeah. you. Cause you keep me in check. I do keep you a check. Pet Cemetery all the way. <laughs> I, I, I still stand by that movie being pretty solid. I know you do. No, no. It's, we keep each other in check, I think. I mean, if they release another Evil Dead movie or Army of Darkness movie, I'm going to like it. I don't care what happens. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, so it says Candyman is releasing August 27th. Wait, August 27th? I thought it was like October 1st. Wow. Okay. Is that like a... Is as of as of June twenty third, okay, from Rolling Stone, that was the latest date. Okay, here's a new one that says three days ago. I'm going to make sure uh, that that is the date. Uh, where is it? The date? Yeah, August. Yeah, August twenty seventh. So hey, we're getting a little earlier than we thought. All right, all right. Then to start the the fall season, to end the summer, it'll be Candyman. Perfect. Perfect. Get your hooks ready. Bring your bees. Yes, bring your bees. Oh my god, God! I hope nobody just lets out bees in the theater. <laughs> bees everywhere. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Another Tommy Boy reference. Right. Yes, we, we're we're Tommy Boy centric on this show. I love it. Love it. Okay. Um, is there any, Oh, let's, let's, let's talk about, um, I, one more, one more. I got to mention, um, scream factory is releasing the dead zone collector's edition. Mm -hmm. Um, it's good stuff. This movie, you know, a, a young Christopher Walken. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. Come on. Uh, Tom Skerritt, yo. Um, and it's a Cronenberg movie. So, Scream Factory collectors, you know, get it while it's hot, get it while it's still in print. Uh, do that immediately. And uh, yeah, I was that. I mean, I don't think there's too much horror stuff coming out just yet, but it's just starting to. And plus, the film festivals are happening. 
uh, Cannes is happening right now where uh, we got first wave for Fantasia Fest. We're going to get first wave soon for Fantastic Fest. So we'll have all the updated horniness coming out. Did I say horniness or horniness? Horror moviness. That's uh, the, the ongoing question. The ongoing question. So yeah, there is that. And the one that we're really excited for, we're finally going to get to see in a week or so. It's called The Green Knight and our uh, returning best friend david lowry's directing it uh and i am going into this blind i only know that it's dev patel and it's uh medieval yeah authorian uh myth yeah and so with david lowry behind it uh i'm just i'm so excited um I want David Lowry to do a damn comedy movie so badly because <laughs> he does all these very poignant and important and significant and serious films, you know, like even Peach Dragon was great, but it had like this serious aspect to it. I want, I want to see his, his comedic persona come out in something and it's not going to happen in Green Knight, I don't think. No, I don't think so. It may in his uh, Peter Pan and Wendy movie, it might come shine through a little bit more, but depending upon, I don't know. He, he's always looking for, he's like a very me- melancholic guy, uh, kind of like myself, where if I was making movies, I probably would kind of go down this road. Um, I feel like it's comparable to like Philip Seymour Hoffman's career. Uh, like when he started out, he was doing a lot of those uh comedy funny movies like along came Polly and the various like outrage scenes that he has in movies but then there was a stride that he hit where he was just doing all this very serious stuff like doubt and uh the truman capote movie and things like that and you're just or, or leo leo for a little period there was doing a lot of serious <laughs> stuff but then he did you know once upon a time in hollywood and we're like dude you got some uh some uh, comedy wings on you you gotta let those suckers <laughs> flap um and uh I don't know. It, I don't, it, you know, it's, I don't it's, know. it's interesting because I think that very serious actors are the funniest. Like I, and I, I'll give an example. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger was typecast as very strong, very, uh, not melancholic, but very serious uh, characters. But man, when he's in Twins or even Killing Gunther, that dude is having so much fun. And he's like funny in real life all the time. Have you listened to his commentaries? They're amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I know David I, Lowry has it in him and I want to see it, but Green Knight is supposed to be this medieval horror movie. And I just think it's going to blow us away. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Cause he really is, he's a funny guy. Like the yeah. interactions that we've had with him and some of the emails that I've had back and forth with him. Um, like his wife, Augustine, like she's a filmmaker and she did uh, Never Going Back and that movie was very funny. So I imagine yeah. that he probably made some slight contributions to it. Um, so um, I think I think he's very, very capable. I mean, he has a whole Instagram dedicated to his cats and it's fantastic. <laughs> he's a guy who makes Legos and spills countless hours making uh, these crazy Lego creations. That's true. The guy's, the guy's got some uh, some calcium in his phony bone that he's he's he should be willing to uh, share with us. Good deal. Good deal. Um, moving to our little record portion. Is there anything you want to mention record wise today? Because I have one, a record I want to mention. 
I, I, I don't think I have anything uh, new that I got recently. Um, I did get uh, the, the, the alternate uh, soundtrack to Dazed and Confused uh, recently, which was a really hard one to find, but now they uh, put it out again and a certain amount of copies. And that's one that I've been chasing because they're like ridiculous amounts of money uh, to, to get. So it's like 200 or $300 sometimes. I have to look this one up because I think I have the record store day release soundtrack from years ago of that. Yeah. It was like 2012 or 2013. Um, yeah, or it was 2012 because the reason why I remember it is because I went into urban outfitters right before I proposed to my wife and, uh, I (laughs) I almost bought it, but I would have to, I, I didn't want that to be in my photos because uh, I had some photographer out there waiting around the lake uh, in Plano where we were and I didn't want to be like holding that as I'm you know getting down on one knee so I unfortunately didn't get it that night and then I lost my opportunity until I got it later. Uh, lesson learned man always get that record because you won't find it again but I'm glad you got it though I'm glad you got that that's amazing. Um, I'm going to recommend one. Uh, there's a, have you heard of an album or a, a band called Brown Sabbath? I have not. Okay. Everybody listen up. Get Brown Sabbath. Brown Out is a band and they do Brown Sabbath. And so this is a band from South Texas that does strictly Black Sabbath covers and they're Latin infused. So think of Black Sabbath songs and put a Latin infusion into it with horns and everything. And it's badass. highly recommended. Uh, you will love it. They do all Dio, they do all Osborne. Please, Brown Out presents brown sabbath what volumes does the one zach wild solo sound like or a, <laughs> or a tommy solo uh it, it's amazing man i mean you're just gonna have to listen to it because like it really does sound fantastic that hard that metal that rock of black sabbath but then you bring in kind of that that latin gigantic horn section and percussion and man it, it's killer download them brown out presents brown sabbath uh it's on vinyl you can find it do it and if you get a chance to see them in concert holy shit you're gonna love it nice. so that is the recommendation but speaking of let's move on to our bloody question of the week preston take it away yeah um so we're doing fear street this week and so we're gonna we were thinking of like a question that related to a street in some capacity and so it's hard when you not to think of like nightmare on elm street and all the other film titles that have street names in their title um so i thought it'd be fun to give audiences the opportunity to come up with their own uh horror franchise that has street in the title and you can do whatever the hell you want with it based off of whatever uh, street name you uh, uh, come up with. Um, so do you want me to kick things off? Do you want to kick things off? You, you kick things off. I'm very curious. Okay. Uh, so the first thing that came to mind for me is um, I would title it This Ain't It Street. <laughs> um, because uh, I, I like 
meta kind of humor. And so the idea of, I don't know how many Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies or ripoffs that you see where, you know, they, they turn off the wrong road and then it could just be very apparent that the street, you know, it's called this ain't it um, street. And um, so I was thinking my mind went immediately to uh, a movie that I know that you like, uh, Brian, which is the, the the most recent or new Blair Witch movie, which is just Ooh, Blair Witch. Yes, yes I did. Um, so something along the lines of like being trapped in somewhere where time is just at a standstill. Um, so when you're there, um, you can't really get out of it and you'll just be forever trapped in a loop. Um, Cause I think that's uh, a horrific thing for me or to, to even imagine um i think there even was like a hor another horror movie that may deal with something very similar but um that's just kind of where my mind went I, I didn't think of anything too complex or think of like a, oh what's the what does the villain do specifically but i just think sometimes you can just think of a title and then spend some time with it and then you can just uh have fun with it from there but uh, i mean i also thought of like sesame street and like how many or things you can do with that but um yeah something like that this ain't it or this ain't it street oh my god sesame street turns to salo 120 <laughs> days of puppetry there you go <laughs> idea all right mine uh kind of similar to the sesame street thing but i went with barry street b-e-a-r-y street barry street and uh, this is kind of like a trilogy of stuffed teddy bears, demonic teddy bears killing kids. So it kind of starts off like, you know, way back when, and it's like these like old homemade little teddy bears and they become demonic possessed, but then it gets into the eighties and there's an evil Teddy Ruxpin bear that fucking kills. <laughs> you, you, you watched a lot of, uh, what is that movie? Look who's talking. Yes, yes, I did. had that yeah. sequence with the, the possessed teddy bear. That, that sequence was fun. Uh, yeah, no, it was. They even did the possessed toilet in that movie, too, with Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, yeah. Yeah, no, but I think that would be so scary because I think there's something to like dolls or teddy bears and something so sweet uh, and innocent. And then just to have it like very simplistic, almost, you know, have like conjuring meets paranormal activity type of vibe where it's like, not too big of um, CGI effects, but just something so scary as flicking on a light or something like that, or the doll moving real little. I think that'd be crazy, but I like the element of switching time periods. So like an old homegrown, like rustic Amish teddy bear, and then a Teddy Ruxman one, and then one of those robotic ones. I think yeah. that would be super cool or super fun to, to do. So yeah. Barry Street, very fun. I like it. And it only kills kids though, so no adults. Adults, no adults are harmed. Mm, so I guess I won't be watching it then. <laughs> no, well, I don't know. Have you gotten over that fear yet since mother? <laughs> uh it's got I mean, I've been able to stomach a lot of things that I haven't that I didn't think I would be able to. Um, like for instance, the movie that I'm recommending today kind of made me feel sick. Uh, but I'm recommending it anyway. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I've gotten over it a little bit more, but 
it just depends on how graphic and raw it is. I think I just will never be able to erase the image of the little baby peeing as it's about to be broken in half and mother. And that just felt so weird and strange and horrifying. Um, Just that, (laughs) that little detail of the baby peeing as it's being broken in half like uh so it depends uh, how you handle it brian so oh if you, man i hope you keep me in mind a little bit as you're creating these fucked up scenarios i will but man that that little gif in my mind of you walking out of that theater at that moment is forever <laughs> imprinted in my mind because like Preston was like screw you guys i'm going home yeah. <laughs> i tailed it out of there and i literally said to myself well there goes preston and i remember texting you afterwards i was like oh man that was so oh yes i will always remember remember that i love it um <laughs> Those are our our choices. Shall we go to uh, the internet, to Reddit, yes. and read some? Yes, yes. All right. So um, we had some pretty funny ones. Um, TODD123 said, Merman Street. It's the all-zombie Ethel Merman all the time movie. <laughs> nice. So if you know who Ethel Merman is, famous actress, singer, dancer and all the old fantastic academy award-winning movies ethel merman all zombie ethel merman merman street thank you tohidi one two three um no more mammoths said main street killer of the week anthology with stepfather vibes killer included loving housewife doting father head cheerleader valedictorian etc or the hell street blues What's worse, blood-hungry demons or the crazy cultists that summon them? Mm. I like this. Um, Brief Candle said, how about Mame Street, dismembers only? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Brief Candle, that's good. Um, uh, Rosa Lupum said, Backstreet, it's back all right. <laughs> I'd probably actually go for our street, our street, and have it be st- a street which a guy bumps into the same woman on every day when he changes his work commute. One day he doesn't see her and that's the day the street suddenly seems a lot longer and more dangerous. It's mm. ghosts. Um, we also got from one Justin Klein. He said, Beat Street, break dancing serial killer to the hip hop, the hippie, the hippie to the hip hip hop, and he won't stop. <laughs> nice. So I actually like that one. And our last one is all the way from Alex Spivey. He said, Pecan Street, bats, just all the way are so many bats. So thank you, Alex Spivey. Thank you, Justin Klein. Thank you to everybody on Reddit. Those were really good. I think uh, maybe the clear winner here is uh, Main Street or uh, um, Breakdance Beat Beat Street. <laughs> that was pretty nice. good too. I like those. But thank you, everyone. Now on to my bloody tunes, where we pick a song related to our our main feature, which is Fear Street trilogy on Netflix. Uh, Preston. What song, what tune do you want to give to everyone today? Um, I guess I'm going to go with something uh, off the... Probably the most exciting soundtrack for me, or at least the era of music, as I mentioned earlier, with Days of Confused. I like 70s stuff. 
um 70s tunes dad rock tunes so like the 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 same the the meat of the the fear street sandwich is probably the area era of music that i appreciate the most so like the 1978 um so i'm gonna pick something from there um i would go with um it's it's hard to say because i, I want to go something from the who but I uh, don't want to go Bob O'Reilly just because it's hard for me to not link that with Stranger Things because they use that in the trailer and they have some of the, at least one of the cast members from, or two, two of the cast members from Stranger Things in there. But uh, Ooh, are you going to go with Boris the Spider? Creepy, crawly, Ooh, creepy, creepy, crawly, good. crawly, creepy, creepy, crawly, crawly. Yeah, that, we'll go with that. That one's a good one. All right, because I mean, even though it's a spider, it's kind of like coming to a sticky end. I just yeah. kind of like that. It's a fun song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, Boris the Spider. I'm going to go very on the nose with it and go 80s DJ Jazzy and Fresh Prince, Nightmare on My Street, which is an amazing song, Fresh Prince vibes in the 80s. And they couldn't get. Um, the rights to Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's just like this ridiculous looking Freddy Krueger type of dude <laughs> that does yeah. not even resemble him really, except for like stripes and sweater and yeah. a fedora hat, but it's so good. And it's all about a nightmare at all my street. Yeah. Oh, Will Smith, he raps happy. I love him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Boris the Spider, one of my favorite uh who songs man that's probably my favorite one i don't know why but i just like that song a lot um and nightmare on my street which i had i believe i mean i have nightmare on my street single on vinyl but i also do have boris the spider album uh the who fantastic good bloody tunes let us know if there is another one but uh moving on to a little bloody recommendation real quick before we get to our main event fear street trilogy we're going to suggest a bloody suggestion doesn't have to necessarily go and uh, coincide with the movie, the main event, but Preston, what is your suggestion? Uh, my recommendation this week is uh, it's shark week. So I've been watching so much of that. Uh, uh, I am a nature junkie uh, for sure. And I, every shark week I watch it and uh, watch all the stuff. And then I, throughout the year, I'm like watching uh, Dis- Discovery Plus is my favorite streaming service because that's all I watch. Whenever I have time to kick it and just watch stuff at my own leisure, I am watching documentaries on sharks, whales, uh, rainforests and all kinds of stuff, man, I, I eat it up. So, uh, yeah, I've been, there's quite a few uh, stuff from Shark Week that I've enjoyed uh, real quickly before I get to like the main one that I'm going to discuss that I think is the the one that is uh, most in most up the horror alley and worth your time. Uh, I watched uh, Chris Hemsworth had a shark documentary on Dis- uh, Disney Plus. It's about 44 minutes long. And so as I was beginning to watch it, 
I was like, oh, this is just a commercial to show how cool he is because he like, uh, he does like, he goes surfing and all kinds of stuff like that. And so like the first 10 minutes is just like him just like cutting the waves and everything. And like a lot of shots behind his head and like showing his muscles and things like that. Um, so I mean, that's of, in his contract. He has to do this. Yeah, pretty. I'm, I mean, he works hard for those muscles. So he's got to show them off a little bit. I don't blame the guy. But um as the documentary goes on, it gets a little more serious, and uh, he goes diving with this 85-year-old uh, activist and oceanographer, and uh, and so she like she like helped on Jaws, uh, the original Jaws, and um, but she also like helped save the gray shark species. And so, um, yeah, she's like 85 years old, and so he like talked with her. And this is all in Australia, and. Um, he goes diving with her and you can tell that Chris Hemsworth is not the doesn't doesn't feel comfortable diving so he's like there's shots of him like holding hands with this 85 year old woman as they float through the water uh surrounded by all this gray shark so it's super sweet and then as they go as it goes on uh they do some really cool like scientific stuff where that as it relates to Chris Hemsworth with uh surfing and along with the eight deaths that happened last year in Australia, which were eight of them uh, from shark attacks. Um, so uh, the scientists uh, developed, uh, or engineer rather, that they're working on building this electric board that goes on the bottom of your surfboard to where um, if a shark came under it, because um, sharks, they have, uh, I can't, the name escapes me because it's really complicated and scientific, um, but there's, they have, like they can sense uh, anything electric between their their eyes um so uh it shows like a great white coming up to try to get the board uh with and they have a piece of bait attached to it and so they turn the electric board off and sure enough the shark comes up and gets it turn it on the a meter away the shark goes the other way so they say that it can about 60 percent sharks would swim away from it um if they you know were scoping out the area a little bit more but uh so that would have saved uh at least five of the eight people that uh tragically passed last year uh in australia so that was interesting um there's a just a plain old bbc uh documentary series just called shark uh nothing too complicated there um but it just gives you very thorough and insightful information on different shark species and their culture and things like that it was really fascinating um, but it could bore people because uh, it has like an English guy talking and it could probably lull you to sleep, but very fascinating stuff for me. Uh, but they got stupid stuff on there. Air Jaws, where they have like the scoreboard where they do it like X Games where they're like, this, the Great White had two seconds of hang time. It had jumped 13 feet in the air and stuff like that. So they have senseless stuff like that, but I think the most surprising thing to me tonally from this year in comparison to years past is how it seems like discovery is taking greater leaps to talk about, have a deeper conversation about sharks and which leads me into the movie that I'm ultimately recommending. Um, Cause like in years past, they had that Megalodon documentary that everybody just ripped to sh shreds because it was uh, foamy as hell. 
Um, but then they had a lot of documentaries in the past where they concentrate on shark attacks. But anything they that talks about shark attacks, they had the person on there and they talk about like they don't blame the shark because they were in their its territory. They don't try to turn it into like this menacing type of creature. Um, and that they're, they're a species to save. So the movie that I'm recommending is Eli Roth's Finn. Finn. Yes. Did um, you get to talk with Eli Roth? Unfortunately, I did not. His team uh, declined talking well, to me. Mine too. I was try. I tried so difficult. I tried really hard to get him on the on our my buddy podcast, man, and they said he they declined it. I don't know why. Yeah, if they would have saw my other documentary interviews that I've done this year, they'd be like, okay. Um, and we're big horror fans, so I don't, I don't yeah, whatever. Um, it's fine. I still loved this movie, and I think it's worth talking about. Um, so, yeah, it's Finn. It's currently on uh, Discovery uh, Plus right now. And, right, Discovery Plus, not on Disney Plus? I, I think it's on Disney Plus, Plus, yeah. I mean, I mean Discovery, Discovery. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay, so it's on Discovery Plus, but, yeah, dude. Uh, did you get the chance to watch this? I have not watched it yet. Okay. So it's uh, one of the most devastating, upsetting, and shocking documentaries that I've seen um, about sharks uh, specifically. And I've watched uh, at least three whale documentaries this year that kind of dive into similar territory, uh, but not quite like this. Because um, um, I'd probably say the closest is probably The Loneliest Whale, which is actually coming out this weekend too um I, I recommend that one as well um but it this one uh it's like eli roth is serving as the everyday man who's coming in there who may not have a great understanding i mean he even says like he comes at it from an angle that you and i would probably relate to it as uh where it's like you know we grew up uh with uh being scared to hell by sharks because of jaws but we also appreciated it and, and were fascinated by them and he's a horror filmmaker and so he uh, ha has a strong appreciation for the creatures and so he uh brings himself into it so he's like this investigative journalism or journalist that is uh like at the very beginning of the movie opens with him uh, climbing aboard a uh, fishing boat that is illegally fishing. So that is also involved in like fishing, like a fishing syndicate, like a, they're really tied to like the mafia and stuff like that, where they're um, getting fins. So they make money off of shark fins and they use those shark fins for various things like soup uh, they can use the liver oil for all kinds of skincare products. So really pay attention to what uh, you put on your body and what you ingest. Um, so there's just a huge market for it. Uh, and they focus on it, especially out of Hong Kong. Um, so thankfully, like there's a lot of things that are happening today to kind of slow things down. I think one of the coolest things that uh, was featured in the film was when uh, Eli Roth uh, meets uh, this uh, operation that helps uh, stop the criminal activity that's happening on the sea. So if they see boats that are doing illegal fishing, they will stop them and uh, shut down their operation. Um, and it's actually funded by uh, Bob Barker. Um, so the, the boat that they were using to uh, track down these uh, fishermen um, was uh, a boat uh, made, uh, 
funded by Bob Barker. Um, so that was cool and interesting, but he follows the process all the way from like being on a boat and they show uh, them killing sharks. Like it opens with like, man. So if you have a very weak stomach, uh, really try to prepare yourself. Uh, like even Eli Roth makes a joke in there about uh, like, uh, he's like, you know, I grew, I, I'm, I mean, I made Hostel. I make one of the most gruesome movies ever. And it's very disgusting for me to be around this and see images like this, because it's happening. Like, uh, like you see uh, what, what you think is going to be kind of like a quiet, cool moment of like a fisherman releasing a shark. And he just gets out a baseball bat like the bear Jew and hits the shark on the head oh. and kills it oh man and, and and so you see his like real-time reaction to these moments and there you see all this crazy footage that is just like my heart is bleeding of like a uh a whale shark that's been uh washed ashore and they're hacking it while it's still alive and uh the, it, it'll ha there's some fishing boats where they just take the fins and the shark is still alive and they throw it in the water um so the the, the it throws like all these crazy statistics at you and facts like such as like there's a hundred million sharks that are killed every year and um people are rich people who want to seem like they're uh kind of like the same reason why some people rich people will just uh buy the cr most expensive thing on the menu just to even if they whether they like it or not and pretend that they like it and so uh like in china or hong kong they would have uh people of the elite who like the emperor would eat uh fish uh or shark fin soup and it just became this thing where like the, oh. it just stayed very expensive like shark fins are really expensive and so it just was the symbol of of royalty this and sounds so, like the saddest most depressing documentary ever it it really is um so i didn't know if i was going to make it through it because I right away like I mean he doesn't Eli Roth does not shy away from the reality of it he he shows you as it is he doesn't try to soften it in any such in any way like um and are these poachers are they are these people poachers are they illegal like what's happening it's uh like it's a it's legal for people to kill sharks in certain places like Mexico and things like that or areas like that and so uh they can't exactly uh um shut them down but it just depends on like how they're doing it there's like certain they have to have a certain license and things like that and so they're trying to they're looking for the areas that are illegal to help stop them and they're trying to make these big steps like working with the government to try to get, make certain things illegal but there's like people who say you know they're 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 uh cleaning out the oceans and it, there's nothing wrong with fishing and so he eli roth looks at it from all sides he doesn't try to just make it look like it's this you know like we we need to be doing i mean he is essentially like uh that's the big takeaway is that we need to be making greater efforts to try to uh uh conserve the the shark population but he he also like it almost seems like he's too, like he goes and meets with like people who are in the black market 
and uh, really puts himself in harm's way to try to get these answers and try to understand like where they're coming from. And so you get to see like fishermen who um, don't don't really know, like they're just, they're just trying to make a living. Um, so they don't really think about those sorts of things. Um, so I, I felt like it was very well-rounded documentary and I've taken way too much time to try to talk about this, but I, I'm very passionate about this kind of stuff. So uh, it meant a lot to me. And so I think it's really worth your time, but prepare your stomach. And so since we're on a horror podcast, uh, I think you can, you can handle it and learn a lot from it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I want to watch it. I like Eli. I like... I like this type of stuff, but man, I, I'm scared to watch it now. He does. He does some like some of his style of editing too. So like the the moment where I was talking about like uh, they use like a liver, like fish or yeah. shark oil on like skincare products. Like you'll see like stock footage of like a lady putting lipstick on, and he's using sounds from them killing sharks over it and like splicing oh. it in so it makes it much nastier and uh so the so at the end like the big takeaway is to um be conscious conscience or caution know what you're ta- putting on your body and um uh work with uh companies to try to get them to put labels on certain products to say that they're shark free and uh try to work with your government to see if they can make uh, grander efforts to try to shut this down and actually make it legal so we can try to conserve the shark population. All right, Finn. Uh, Good stuff. Um, Like as in the end too. Yes, I want to see this. I'm I'm going to go in. Oh man, it's going to be crazy. One day we'll have Eli Roth on the show. Um, my recommendation is, does not have to do with Fear Street, really. Uh, it's a movie that's coming out soon. Um, it is called Hereafter, not the Matt Damon movie from a few years ago. No, the two separate words, Hereafter, um, formally titled Far Away Eyes, stars Christina Ricci, amongst others, directed by Harry Greenberger, which you can listen to. Um, our show, our podcast um, on the Celebrity Hour podcast. But this movie is actually really cool. It's got a really cool setup. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's a romantic comedy that goes in a different direction into kind of like a horror sci-fi element. Um, The movie is about a guy who just breaks up with his girlfriend and like directly after he breaks up with a girlfriend, he's driving in his car and he gets in a bad car wreck and dies. And he's in this purgatory, this limbo sort of place, kind of similar to Patrick Swayze in the movie Ghost. In order for this guy to move on to the next life or heaven or whatever, he has to find his true soulmate uh his one true love in order to pass on um the problem is he doesn't have one and there's tons of other dead people around him who just don't care to do that so they're just at bars and mocking the living and the only thing they can drink is hard alcohol you know coal and spirits aha um and it's kind of like this uh, kind of journey and exploration of finding one's true love and what that means. And uh, it's a pretty cool. That's a pretty cool story. And I really like the movie um, coming out everywhere on demand in about a week. 
uh, I'd suggest everyone check it out. It's kind of a cool little romantic horror sci-fi-esque type of movie that I thought that was uh, excellent. Have you heard of it, Preston? Uh, just for, uh, first time I heard about it is when you uh, texted me about it. So uh, no, I haven't looked into it at all, but I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's worth checking out. Yeah, worth checking out. So yes, Finn and Hereafter, I think you'll have a good time with uh, Hereafter. Finn is probably a more important movie, <laughs> but oh man, you got to get through that. I, oh, I hate watching animals killed. It, yeah, it's just like... It's almost like like I have to, there's certain films like Schindler's List where you have to prepare yourself for it. And I've been trying to get my wife to watch that for the 11 years that we've been together. Oh, she hasn't and watched it yet? She's, she's never seen it. And I, uh, so every time we have like a, a, oh, what should we watch tonight? I'm like Schindler's List. Um, but it's just like, uh, it, it should be like Finn should be a movie that they show in like uh high school classes or something like that like there's there's it's amazing the 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 biggest thing that i can tell you or the way that i can say like that might entice you to try to check it out is that whenever you watch those kind of movies in high school you remember them you still talk about them yeah um so there it's just like you don't you you look, you can see what they're about and you're like, you know what, I just, you know, I don't have the, the space in my life for it. But it's watching these kinds of films have really lit a fire under me. Um, and so a lot of the products that I buy, like even the shirts that I buy, I have like this one shirt that I love that's called uh, There's No Planet B. And it has like a spaceman on top of a shark and it's all made from material that's 100% recycled. The type of work that I'm in, that's my day job is uh, leans into that area. So it's very, I'm very passionate about that kind of stuff. And so if uh, that should be your, your way of going into it, like uh, it, it's going to be a movie that at the end of it, you're going to be talking about and talking about, you're going to want to try to get other people to check it out. Um, it's just trying to get over that hump. Okay, well, there you go. And we got to get your wife to watch Schindler's List. Yeah, maybe we should do like a live uh, uh, watch of it. Like we could do like a Instagram live or something like that. <laughs> oh my, yeah, we could pause it if she has questions. I could answer them for her. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, that is our recommendations. We're moving on to our main event right now. Fear Street Trilogy on Netflix right now. All three films are available. Um, there's Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Fear Street Part 2, 1978. And Fear Street Part 3, 1666. All directed and written by Lee Janiak all starring more or less the same people in different roles music by the impressive Mark L. Beltrami. Uh, what can you say about fear street? Okay. Fear street is based on books by RL Stein. Yes. Mm -hmm. The goosebumps guy, but this is not your stereotypical RL Stein goosebumps story. This is not for kids under 11 this is not silly happy-go-lucky horror movies this is pretty serious but quite fun horror with sex drugs rock and roll and all sorts of gore and guts um and i'm glad they filmed this all at one time 
They're releasing them one week after the other for the summer and July, all on Netflix. Uh, the The story behind it is uh, in the 1600s, there was a witch hunt and uh, and back then anybody could be a witch. There's whatever, whatever. And there was this girl named Sarah Fear who was killed back then. And she put a curse on this town that flash forward all through the years uh, to 1994, her essence kind of possesses uh, people, her, her, her evilness possesses people into murderous monsters through all out history. So like there's a young girl who kills people. There's a young child that kills people. There's like a Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees type of killer at a camp. There's a mass killer there, all these types of things. And so through the ages, so through in 1994, they try to solve this mystery of what happens. And then after the first movie, the second one tells a tale from 1978 with one of the characters from the first film in 1994. And then it kind of, uh, explores uh, the origins of Sarah Fear. But then in the third one, we go back to the 1600s and then all is revealed in kind of like a fight club, you know, put your seat backs and tray tables upright position, you know, very, very usual suspects kind of moment where like, oh man, what was we thought was not what we thought and here we go. So that's kind of Fear Street in a very vague description, but hell, it's a lot of fun. Great characters, some pretty fun dialogue, and a killer, killer, killer soundtrack throughout the 90s and 70s. Preston, before we kind of go into meat and potatoes about this, um, Fear Street, your expectation for it being R.L. Stein and whatnot, and after watching all three of the movies, were they exceeded? Were they, were they let down? What do you think? Um, yeah, going into it, uh, I thought that it was going to be a very light uh, approach to it. And so I was very excited when they said that it was going to be, you know, hard R, going to be an R-rated uh, horror event trilogy. And so there, there's some places that it goes in this. I think there's still a bit of a lightness to it in some areas, uh, but whenever it comes to the killing sequences and uh, especially in the third or the second and third chapter, um, it doesn't hold back. And, and uh, so I think that it, it kind of exceeded my expectations with uh, being able to just really go for it and uh, be something that is a little more fun for genre fans, uh, especially those who have an appreciation for all types of uh, subgenres within horror, like the slasher film or folk horror or the camp, uh, sleepaway camp kind of thing. Um, so it just tackles all these different things. And I think it has a nice uh, needle that, you know, pieces it all together. Uh, holds it all together in a very fun way so i think in that that capacity uh it, it definitely delivers i think i have you know gripes about each one um but i think overall it's it's pretty satisfying and i i, I hope they continue to make more right no i totally agree yeah there i mean there are issues with it but the good definitely very much outweighs the bad sure. here and i wouldn't say bad i would say just like it, it's a different kind of feel and you could tell like Lee Janiak is just steeped in loves and has a passion 
for horror of all genres and decades. And it shows on screen. So in 1994, the film starts out in, an, in a mall uh, in 1994, so you see like a B. Dalton's books, you see Gadzooks, you see like you're you're transported back to this time, and you know horrific killings are going on. And then it's 1994, high schools between two towns, one's kind of the poor town, one's kind of the rich town, and they're all, you know, they're fighting each other. There's bullying, and then all of a sudden, you know, this Seraphir character is being talked about. Something happens, and all these monsters start coming out like and starting to kill people in vicious ways. And it's up to these teenagers, uh, this brother and sister and a few other friends to kind of solve this mystery and kind of like a, almost the ring sort of setting where like, oh, if we go to her body and place like something there, all will be fine. Well, forget it, folks. That's not the case. So there's like possession, there's killing, and there's tons of like slasher 80s, 70s style stuff going on here, including a fantastic great death scene uh, by way of a bread slicer, which will just be forever imprinted in the mind. But this movie, like they establish the characters, they establish kind of the folklore and what's happening here. And you kind of get a sense for all these monsters that are coming to, but you don't quite know where it's coming from, why it's happening. Uh, and I think this 1994 with all of the 90s music was really solid in the use of like the neon colors and very stylized uses of like blood red lighting and neon blue lighting just really, really sealed the deal here of kind of being etched in this uh, horror realm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it. there's language, there's foul language in this movie, you know, and I say this because it's R.L. Stein, Goosebumps, but this is not Goosebumps, this is something very different. And I loved how the characters got along, it kind of felt real, there was some snarkiness to it. Uh, and there's, you know, some good subjects about it, about, you know, teens coming out and being accepting of everybody and stuff like that, you know, to a degree, like, you know, there's the class system that's definitely on fire here, but, uh, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed this first film. Did, did, did you enjoy the first one, Freston? Oh yeah. I think it's probably the most fun out of all three of them. I, I feel like the, it's got that scream aspect to it and especially the opening sequence and i i love uh, movies that kind of start off that way especially i mean scream like laid down the, the groundwork for absolutely uh for like a somebody that like maya hawk is probably the biggest name that's associated with this entire uh uh trilogy just based off of like her parents alone and uh and uh, Stranger Things and things like that. And so uh, for her to like kick off the franchise and then be like the Drew Barrymore of it and and die in this very horrific way. Um, it, 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 I mean, it's horrific, but it's also very exciting. And so I, I, I loved that it just started off that way because it really gets the hook in you. And then uh, the character dynamics, um, oh, sorry, did you want to well, say something? No, well, I said like that first scene, like, if you think about going into an R.L. Stein movie and you're like, okay, it's going to be for kids. After this first scene, we're like, oh shit. No, it's not because it's scary. It's fun. And it's gory as shit. And they do not shy away from showing the killing. And you're like, okay, I'm in like, yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. kind of like Andy Muschietti when he was doing the first chapter of it, when uh, Georgie gets his arm bitten <laughs> off and you're like, fuck. <laughs> yes. Um, 
but uh yeah like um the the killers all throughout are really uh fun and scary and exciting and um but yeah especially this first one i just think that the characters are really great i think you want to hang out with them there's there's actual stakes there um but it also kind of just has fun like it feels new and fresh it doesn't always it doesn't it's adhering to like certain story beats from the genre but it also is having fun along the way because i i don't think rl stein would write certain things that are that happen that unfold the way that they do in, in this trilogy but uh, i think that uh, lee the director does a really great job of putting like a modern spin on it that makes it fun and exciting so um, it's just a great slasher film. I think it's one of the best slasher films that we've had in quite some time. Uh, I liked it more than Freaky, and I thought Freaky was fun. And um, so, uh, yeah, probably. I, I don't know. Can can you think of any other like really fun uh, slasher movies since like Scream? Oh, since Scream, I'm sure there's a lot. Oh, um, how, how do you know you're the killer? I know you're the killer. That was a fun one, but it was very indie. Um, that yeah, was with you know, the killer. Yeah. 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 That one, one with was, uh, Fran Kranz or whatever. Yeah. And Allison Hannigan and stuff like that. Yeah. That was a fun one. But yeah, the, the, like, I mean, that's so indie. Most people haven't seen that, but Freaky is a fun one and they do a good job with it. But this Fear Street is very mainstream. Uh, you know, Netflix and people are going to love it. Um, but yeah, this first movie, it, it feels like you're in a 90s horror movie, like Preston said, Scream. And But there's so many more monsters to it. And uh, I think more stakes to it because there's a supernatural demonic element to it, which kind of comes to uh, fruition towards the end of the film where when the main climactic battle happens, uh all seems well and good, but then one of the friends, one of the best friends becomes possessed and they try to find somebody who kind of survived all of this back way back when they go to their house. And that's when the move, the first film ends 1994 and goes to Fear Street part two, 1978, which is this person that's telling them this story that happened to her when she was a little girl at camp in 1978, which brings us to the 1978 Fear Street part two. Um, where you can see that uh, this has been going on for a long time. This is the Friday the 13th. This is the sleepaway camp homage where campers and camp counselors are not getting along. There's sex, there's drugs, there's pranks, but then it explores more of this Sarah Fear character and why she was possessed, why she was a witch um, and kind of maybe something else more sinister at work here. And it, uh, from the first film, there's this kind of uh, Friday the 13th part two before Jason Voorhees gets his hockey mask. He's wearing kind of like a potato sack over his head with an ax. And that's kind of the character that's the main killer in 1978. And it turns out that it's, you know, somebody close to the main character and they can't stop it. And so with the second one, you know, it. the second one takes a little bit to get going. It kind of wants to introduce the setting, the time period, the music, and the characters first before they really get to the blood and carnage and the, the meat of the story. But once it does, I mean, it doesn't stop. And, you know, like with Jason Voorhees or other slashers, kind of 
you kind of see them walking really slow. And when they come to you, they kind of stand there, they pull their ax up and it's kind of like a slow motion shot. But in Fear Street, this character, this killer, man, he is fast. And man, he, the brunt force of his ax chopping through anybody, anybody's flesh, bones or walls is like really hardcore. And it makes it that much more, uh, much more scarier. Uh, and I like the, uh, the sister dynamic, the bullying dynamic here and how they kind of are and how they kind of wrap it up into going into 1666. But what did you think about 1978 Preston? Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you. I think, um, the, the first half of it, I would say, I, you know, I, I got bored by it. I was really excited about this one because like I mentioned with everything, uh, with the music and everything like that, like I love the 70s area and, uh, era and obviously they were trying to go for something that was like a mix between like Days of Confused and Friday the 13th, Sleepaway Camp. Um, and so I was really excited about this one. I think this was the one that I was most excited about out of all of them. Uh, but it, it, it let me down in that first half, but I think that second half, once it really gets going and the killer's there, um, because there's not, it, there's not too many films that, um, that really show the process of how the killer was made. Um, and so it, it's, it, you're instead of just like starting with the killer and everything like that so like you mentioned like it, it, you have to establish these characters their dynamics their relationships with each other the camp itself and so there's a lot of groundwork to lay down um and so i got a little bored by it in 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 that regard but i think yeah once the killer's there and like the tension's up and uh people are working together to try to figure this out and solve it and uh save lives and um it it was just a lot of fun i think um and it got very brutal i think it's the, probably the scariest uh one out of all of them uh once once a, there's like a image toward the end of it where like somebody is killed and it's like one of the most horrific death scenes that i've seen in quite some time uh that was very raw and brutal in the same way that I was describing mother earlier uh or uh like a stabbing sequence from Zodiac or something um but there's a death scene toward the end that I was just like this is this is insane that they're going this far um but um yeah everything that it it's just it's a really good uh middle chapter that or stepping stone to get to uh what actually unfolds uh or what's behind it all in the third one the final showdown so i think it's still yeah it's still satisfying even though i was let down by the the beginning of it um the characters are not quite as uh fun as the first chapter but they're by the end of it you you, you get what they're going for. And like you mentioned, the sister dynamic and uh, the Ziggy's um, character with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Good, Nathan Good, right? Yes, yes. Or Nick Good, I can't remember. Um, the cop uh, when he's a kid. And so uh, that, that relationship was really unique and uh, was one of the best parts of the film. And so, uh, yeah, I had a good time with it. I'm, I'm glad you had a good time with it. I did too. And that brings us to the third one, Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Now, before I say anything about this, are we going to do spoilers? Um, let's, uh, we'll, we'll get, yeah, I think we should ultimately get to spoilers, but we should uh, start off with just our overall thoughts. 
All right. Overall thoughts for part six. So, or for part three, um, actually this is like, uh, there's two parts in this third part. Like it actually has a title card that it goes to two, two different parts. Cause that's where the big kind of like reveal and fight club usual suspects moment is, but part three, um, at the end of part two, where we go back to 1994 from 1978 and you have our main protagonist like, okay, I know what I have to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go help Sarah fear. And uh, the main character is transported back to 1966. And you're just like, Oh no, this is where it's all going to happen. We're going to see this. And like, there's not going to be any music drops here because it's 1666. So it's going to kind of be straight and serious and pretty brutal. So I really like the element in 1666. It feels like uh, Eggers, you know, the witch, uh, feels very Puritan and very hardcore and kind of really violent. Uh, and it explores um, how Seraphir was created, what happened, why it happened, who was responsible and all of that stuff. And we won't go into spoilers just yet. And then, you know, midway through the movie, uh, you're just like, oh shit, the movie's over. And you're like, oh shit. I have half a movie still to go. Yeah. That's where it um, goes like, uh-oh, Fear Street, 1994, part two. And we go back to 1994 to uh, deal with everything in the, you know, the present day in 1994. And I just got to say through all of it, like the 1666 part was really cool. 19 When it goes to 1994, part two, it kind of goes a little, it goes a sillier route, but as it goes the silly route, it goes to some pretty fucking badass territory where you're just like, yes, why haven't more movies kind of done this? You're like, this is so cool. And I loved it. I loved it. They wrapped it up. There's credits, there's credit sequences that leaves it open for more, um, which I hope so. But yes, all in all, this third one is very strong, very solid, pretty scary, violent, gory, all of above. Preston, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I think we're 100% aligned throughout this entire franchise. Uh, I think this one, this third chapter, is uh, probably thematically the best one, uh, especially that that 1666 part. Um I just was not expecting it to kind of go in, in the direction that it did. Um, I've been told that the, that the director, she tried to emulate certain, like a certain types of films from film to film. And so obviously we've mentioned some of the other ones uh, with, you know, Scream and Friday the 13th, but with this one, oddly enough, she went, was inspired by Terrence Malick's The New World. Um, but when I'm watching it, I'm thinking more like, you know, The Witch and Midsommar in some capacity. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just think that it's really neat to kind of get this. I think it's a really cool storytelling device for them to pull us into the story of like what happened during that exact period so we we can develop some uh sympathy and empathy for uh sarah fierce's character um and uh where she came from and like what she dealt with the pains that she uh she faced and why she may be behind everything um 
so uh, like I mentioned with the storytelling device, you're taking the characters from the, the previous two chapters and you're putting them, or the 1994, and putting them into, um, into this film, um, which offers a little bit of familiarity Obviously, they're they're very different characters from that to, from chapter to chapter, but um, instead of getting like a fresh set of characters, I think it allows you because, like you mentioned, this movie's split into half, and so that first uh, chapter, like it really flies by, but it also feels like it's it's very languid and takes its time too. So when the part two came up, I like paused the movie and I was like, oh shit, we really do got forty five minutes to go, and that felt like. A whole movie like I went through everything um but uh yeah I I thought it was I thought it was really great and uh there's there's imagery in this one that will haunt your dreams one especially with the pig yes um uh I think one of my favorite characters out of the entire chapter this third chapter was Solomon um and uh he really he's like a character that you you want to root for and then um he's got a beard and a hair and he's he's the same actor who plays a uh, nick good or nathan good whatever his name is and so uh it's amazing like he goes from looking like uh henry cavill in the witcher or something and then he looks like uh fred savage in the other ones um <laughs> Oh, excuse me. <laughs> so uh, I, I could see a lot of people going like um, Solomon Daddy or something like that um, after this uh, chapter's uh, had, had seen the light of day a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, that 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 sixteen sixty six was really great thematically, very rich um, and uh, very suspenseful. Um, really leans into like the folk horror arena and so like all folk horror has like really messed up imagery like i said um so it's a different type of horror um but then when it gets into that second half like you mentioned like it just gets kind of silly but it still remains fun and like there's a moment and i'm sure we'll get to it in spoilers when all this cr- all the shit's going down and the way that it goes down is like an ex- exciting in a cabin in the woods kind of way. <laughs> yes. um, so I'm excited to talk a little more detail about that. But yeah, I think them- thematically overall, this one's probably the, the best chapter. Um, but I think that first one's still uh, probably the best and most fun out of all of them. But yeah, overall, very satisfying close to this particular arc. Cool, cool, cool. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. We're going to do spoilers now for this third one. Uh, we got to talk about the Sarah Fear character. You know, she's such a cool character throughout the two and a half films. You're just kind of like, okay, she's fucking evil. She's crazy. But it turns out that she's not. Um, the big reveal is that the, the cop, the, the good cop, his last name is good, is actually the evil one throughout the whole thing. And it's kind of crazy. And then the devil, the devil itself becomes a big character in this. And you kind of see where all this happens, which I thought was pretty brilliant. And I, I mean, I didn't predict the cop becoming the bad guy here. Did you? Um, well, I, 
with it, with this kind of being like a like a mystery uh of course i think well i i, I i'm very suspicious so I, I i like look at all all the characters and so he was on my radar but i, I he wasn't the the one that i was thinking that was going to be really behind it all right no i thought that was cool but the the scene that press and i were talking about where it goes to part two of 1994 i believe what we're talking about is okay future filmmakers if you have a movie that has multiple villains and bad guys and monsters, you're going to have to have a scene where all the monsters and villains fight each other. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the cabin in the woods moment. Like when they open all the, all the cages and all the monsters come out. Yeah. It had, it had that sense of thrill and like, Oh my God, this is badass. Um, so yeah, when they, when they shoot the, the blood on them, so they causes them to fight each other and then dismember, totally dismember each other until they all die. And then they collect their pieces again to keep going, which is, uh, was, was really brilliant. Um, and so, yeah, th that's what's so great about this uh, horror trilogy is it offers those moments of awesome. Right. Where, uh, yeah. You don't you don't get too often like you'll, you'll be like, oh, that, that, you know, that was pretty solid. That was a good time. But no, this moment, uh, this all three of these movies offer these badass moments where you're like horror fans are going to be eating it up. And so that that's definitely probably the big highlight of the entire trilogy for me no yeah that was good and you know right when that's happening they actually break into the konami cheat code uh uh throwdown you know like up down up down left right yeah. left right b a select start and yeah. like i was like holy shit did that just happen that's amazing <laughs> yeah 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 that's so too and uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it ends sweetly, you know, everything's good. But then in the credits, of course, being horror, you've got to have like an Avengers mid credit sequence. And it's just enough to like, holy shit, what just happened? What's what's going on? There's going to be more. Let's hope. Um, I liked how they did that. Like, that was really cool how they, you know, they constructed this trilogy uh, and had all these characters and they all had their arcs. Like I thought it was good. They did a good job with this. Yeah, I think so. 100%. So yeah, with that ending it or that credit mid credit sequence, it's like, uh, like the guest or something like that where you're like, ah, no, there's more to be told, uh, more to be told here. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I really hope, I, I think it's going to be successful and they'll make more, um, curious to know like what what they're going to do beyond here but yeah uh like i mentioned i'm just going to be repeating myself like i just felt like uh they wrapped up things in a very neat way and not like a way that's like neat because neat in such a way where uh you're frustrated by it i just think that it wrapped up in a way that's uh very satisfying as somebody who like has an appreciation for these characters but also appreciates the horror genre itself and likes the doomed kind of feel to it as well um, so I felt like they found a nice little balance there. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited where it goes from here if they continue to go. But uh, I think uh, it was pretty fantastic throughout. So Lee Janiak is like, this is like the first big thing. And I just, you got to think like, Jesus, like they're going to get a lot of offers from here. 
yeah yeah it's a, it's, it's it's possibility i'm sure like even netflix is gonna be like oh we're gonna try to keep her on as much as we can and um but i'm sure she's gonna get offered uh, maybe maybe like even a marvel film they seem like they go after everybody at this point right um, right so um she has a lot of creative vision um and so uh yeah it, it's just like looking at like what she's done before it's kind of cra- like she did like a few episodes of scream the tv series um and so uh, with like a six year gap or something like that, where she wasn't working on anything, but maybe this is what she was working on the entire time. Um, there's a lot, a lot clearly went into this. And so when I'm watching this, I'm like, it's amazing that she was able to just film these three movies uh, and see it from beginning to end and put them out in the same year. And I was like, that's not an easy task. Like these are complicated films that have a lot going on um and to be able to weave them all together in the way that she does that's pretty impressive it is it's pretty it's pretty great good job kudos you want to see more if there's going to be another trilogy i wonder if there's going to be an 80s one there's going to be a 50s one and maybe a 2002 one or something like that i'm curious where it goes from here but uh, i'm excited it would be cool to see a 50s one like or even a 30s one with universal monsters or even the, you know the 80s one with you know the uh, um stranger things has that market but i i would like to see it yeah yeah uh me too um yeah i don't i don't have more to too much more to say about it but, oh, oh let's talk about one annoyance that i really had uh, which is the the music needle drops as often as they happen. Um, I think that there's uh, a balance to it that is very hard to achieve. And there's very few filmmakers who can achieve it well. Um, Richard Linklater is one of them. James Gunn's one of them. I, even though like Taste Confused, like it has so many songs in it, I think th- it goes about it in a very organic way where songs pop up when there's a radio nearby or they're at a club or whatever it is. And there's, right. just, there's a lot of music that happens in here just for the hell of it. Right. With- and while I think we both like the music in here, it was too forced. Like I think a very recent movie that had a lot of these song cues that played up was Cruella. But yeah. it, do, it was done in an organic way, and it was good. It was cool. It was punk rock. I liked it. But in Fear Street '94, Fear Street '978, um, there was, you know, the the you know the transition to the scene comes on. It's setting. It's showing you exposition, and it's just showing you that the that decade of songs right there, you know, and that's kind of what, uh, what it is. And I think it was just a little forced, even though I love them. I love the music. That's just, that's how it was. And yes, I will agree with you. That's a little bit of a gripe. Yeah. I noticed it, especially in the second one, cause it'll go from like a uh, brotherly love, Neil Diamond song, and then going into uh uh, dang it what's that song that's in house arrest the love gonna keep us together. together yeah so it goes into that song Captain and Tennille s- yeah yeah, that's yeah what it is. within yeah. seconds like um so it, it'll just like turn it up loud like uh in the beginning of 78 you know it starts with like Julian Jacobs character 
um, as the older Ziggy and she's uh, making a TV dinner and then Man Who Sold the World by Nirvana comes on. Yeah. Just like, oh my God, come on. Like you have a great composer there who can like build the tension. Obviously she's somebody who has a lot of pain. You don't really need like a moment like that. And I know that this uh, filmmaker went in uh, with a playlist already created to kind of set the tone and a feel for it. And she probably leaned a little too much into that. Um, and it didn't need that. It, it had like the aesthetics, it had the feeling, it had the characters that could pull you into that era of, uh, of time uh, pretty well. And it didn't really need to have all those music drops and it could make those moments a little more special. So like when uh, Carry On My Wayward Son or something like that, when it pops up in like a more organic fashion, uh, it can have a greater impact instead of just being so saturated with music that it just loses its fun. And you can just be like, well, that was a great collection of songs. Yeah. Um, but it, don't don't try to force me into having a, having a feeling uh by by doing that uh like it's almost like as if you're trying to uh make up for like uh gray areas that you had to color in yourself to uh to cause the audience not to notice those gray areas by putting that song over it um but um it is it, it's like it's not the biggest deal to me because uh like we said we were, we're still fans of this uh but it, it was a gripe that i had and so that's why i guess i like the third one with the 6066 because it just used folk horror music it's true and it didn't like who are you gonna who are you gonna use uh like grivaldi or something yeah um so um i enjoyed that but then yeah they, they punch up the music again when they jump back to 94 with like two pixie songs back to back yeah no i mean i hopefully netflix will release a, a, a soundtrack on vinyl of all the songs and all of beltran they are score. through wax oh, records okay good 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 so they're doing that uh that'll be fun but yeah again yeah it's, it's a small gripe you know he's just like it, it's on the nose music you know but you know what Zack snyder does the same thing and it's great you know whatever so i like it Fear Street, the trilogy is on Netflix now. Go to your, go down to your nearest Netflix and watch Fear Street, binge it, do one each night. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and this wraps up my bloody podcast episode 96. We're only a few more away from our 100th episode, which we're planning right now for all you little ghoulies and whatnots. Um, I'm Brian Kluger. Um, you can find me at High Def Digest, Screen Rant, Boomstick Comics, YouTube. Type in Brian Kluger, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and go search My Bloody Podcast. Google that, and you'll find us on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, Apple Music, all of the places. Preston, where can they find you at? They can find me uh, taking over all your social media accounts. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'll be doing. Um, you can find me. I, yes, on, please. Can, will you do that for a day? <laughs> yeah. Um, nude videos and everything. Um, try to get you in trouble. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram under the handle Blu-ray Dad, um, where I'm posting a lot of my interviews and uh, most recent uh, physical media gets. 
And then you can find me on Twitter at Preston Barta. Uh, you can find my writing on Denton Record Chronicle, DentonRC.com, and FreshFiction.tv. Like I mentioned with all the Shark Week stuff, I got a lot of stuff up there about, uh, I got a piece that I'm really proud of that I put out about uh, whale culture. And I concentrated on three different whale documentaries that came out this year. And I kind of compare and contrast them um, and talk and use uh, quotes from the interviews that I've had from different filmmakers that I spoke to. Um, so uh, trying to create these bigger pieces outside of just being reviews and interview articles and uh, put a lot of thought into it. And there, I, man, my mind was running and I wanted to talk about so many different things, but didn't have uh, the space for it. Uh, but I'm proud of what, what came out of it. And so you can check that out on dittonrc.com or freshfiction.tv. Awesome. We are my bloody podcast. Subscribe. Listen, we love you. We'll see you next time.